Hi, I'm Ian McAllister. And I'm Jamie Adams. And welcome to Brainwaves episode 80, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of the 23rd of August, 2021. Broken token in name, broken by nature. Zenobia Awards reach the finals. And global shipping puts pressure on publishers. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. It's our unfortunate duty once more to report abuse allegations to you, our dear listeners. Yesterday, we are recording on the 20th of August, Ashley Taylor posted a story to Medium detailing her abuse by CEO of Broken Token, Greg Spence. Now, if you're not familiar with Broken Token, they are a company in the States that produce mostly wooden inserts for board games for organizational purposes. She details her relationship with Greg Spence from her time as an employee to her eventual relationship with Greg that she felt bullied into and his sexual harassment of her that she felt she had to allow in order to keep her job. This abuse went on for years and she eventually left him and the company. He then proceeded to stalk her at conventions, putting her in fear for her safety. We'll link to her full story on Medium and we do urge you to give it a read. Obviously content warning for sexual abuse and very sort of horrendous allegations in there that might trigger some of our listeners. Several big names have already commented on these developments. Cephalofer Games, makers of Gloomhaven and the currently in-production Frosthaven, posted to their Facebook page. The Frosthaven Kickstarter had a tie-in with Broken Token for an insert that could be bought as an add-on. From their page, Sexual assault and harassment has no place in this industry, and Cephalofer Games has committed to making this industry safe for everyone. We are exploring our options regarding the Broken Token inserts sold as part of the Frosthaven Kickstarter, as well as our other contractual obligations to Broken Token, and we'll have more news soon. Bezier Games have also commented, Our team has become aware of the allegations made against Greg Spence, CEO of Broken Token, just this afternoon. We have a zero-tolerance policy for harassment and are extremely disturbed by this news. We are currently looking into this to determine our next steps. That's not all though. ELO also made a statement which I'll read to you now, from Steve Broussard, the CEO. ELO absolutely unequivocally supports women. We do not tolerate harassment, abuse, or violence of any sort, and take any related accusations very seriously. In light of the allegations made against Greg Spence, CEO of The Broken Token, we've revoked our licensing relationship indefinitely. Additionally, we have removed all Broken Token items from our online store and have demanded that Broken Token cease and desist selling or promoting any officially licensed ELO accessories immediately. ELO will donate the proceeds of the last three years of Broken Token licensing fees to Rain, Rape, Abuse and Incest National Network. If you or a loved one is a victim of sexual violence, please contact the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673, signed Steve Broussard, the ELO USA COO. Panasaur Games also issued a statement saying they'll be making a donation to Rain. We'll add links to that organization in the show notes, which I under, as I understand it, that is a US-only organization. I think it is important to note that Stephen Broussard himself has had, a, has had a brush with assault allegations at Gen Con a few years ago, where he got into an altercation with one of the security guards at the event. We will put a link to that in the show notes. Stephen did release a statement after that, basically copying to what had happened and saying he was extremely sorry and apologizing but since we're talking about abuse allegations and threats of violence i think it is worth mentioning that i think it's worth pointing out as well that stephen brissaud was also at the time president of gamma the game manufacturers association and 
after it was censured by the board officially after an investigation, um, a move that was controversial to some. It's worth saying that in the original Twitter thread, when these allegations came out, another person came forward saying they knew a person who had left Broken Token because of Greg Pence. Broken Token have issued a statement that seems to come direct from Greg Pence that we would like to read in full. Some of you may have seen the Medium article by a former employee of the Broken Token accusing me of sexual harassment and assault. The blog also alleges that I committed similar acts to a second person. I now find myself in the very uncomfortable position of defending my integrity. While I do so with the complete confidence that none of those accusations are true, I am genuinely sorry for how this may affect my family and our terrific team members at the Broken Token. The Medium article does shed light on one fact. In 2014, my wife of now 20 years and I did separate for two months before deciding to reconcile. Though my marriage, the most important thing in my life, remains a work in progress, I'm happy to say that the most painful elements of our relationship now reside in the past. During these last few years, as my wife and I continue to work on our partnership, I am confident that the close and consensual interactions I had with others in and outside the workplace never crossed the line of sexual harassment or assault. More allegations might be raised as the Medium article hints. I will take all allegations seriously and address them in the most straightforward, transparent manner possible, while giving full respect and due to those who make these allegations. My leadership team and I will also work hard to continue providing a safe and secure work environment for our staff. I will keep you updated. Thank you for reading. Greg Spence, CEO. We know that there has been a meeting of the Game Manufacturers Association board since this news broke, and we know that the issue is going to be raised by one or more of the members. We'll bring you an update on that in this story on the next cast. We could not watch the meeting live ourselves, as we understand it is public, but we do understand that notes from that meeting will be released at a later date, to the, again, to the public. Right. So we'll bring you that on the next cast, if that has come out by then. My own personal read of the Broken Token Apology is that Greg Pence knows he has done wrong and that other accusations will come out. The bit that really drives it home for me is that I am confident that the close and consensual interactions. Who speaks like that? Not relation. It's not relationships. It's not friendships. It's close and consensual interactions. That kind of speaks volumes to me. That's a very strange way of wording your relationships with your staff. As we said in the last cast, we're always going to report on this kind of news in this cast is it makes for uncomfortable listening we understand that it makes for uncomfortable reading for us as well but doing so exposes abusers in the hobby and makes it an unsafe place for them it and that's what we want we want our hobby to be an unsafe place for these people yeah yes uh, we hope that we are not the only outlet reporting this news loud and clear and uh, we applaud dicebreaker in the uk especially for reporting the news very quickly and also full credit to the companies that have immediately cut ties of broken token and made statements i hope if you're listening to this you are not thinking why did they wait until now to say something people do not say things for a myriad of reasons that is their own personal reasons the fact they are speaking up now is lauded and that should be uh that should be supported as ian said it's making this place actively hostile and unwelcoming for abusers and people who would harbour those abusers. Now, 
Back in episodes 62 and 71, we covered the Zenobia Awards. These were a series of awards launched to encourage diverse voices to enter the world of historical wargame design, a space mostly dominated by white men. Surprise, surprise. The Zenobia Awards have now been filtered down to eight finalists and two honourable mentions. Now, we won't go over each finalist here, but suffice to say, there are some very interesting games from a, a great mix of designers and some really interesting settings and themes, some of which include gender-defying queers in London's Molly Houses in the 18th century, members of the Netherlands Resistance under Nazi occupation during the Second World War, and a game about managing the fortunes of the young ladies from the landed gentry. I don't know, is that different? Like games like Ladies and Gentlemen's a little bit like that. A little, but I, th- I think this will be much more in historical context. So I, I, what I was trying to do with the, with the ones I picked out for us to mention straight on the cast was uh, pick out the ones that were a little bit less straight historical war game. But there's some very interesting themes amongst the actual just sort of straight stuff as well, like diff- different different historical periods yes. looked at. And I think that's what the Zenobia Awards are trying to encourage is looking at the like because we see well, there's loads of war games about World War Two or World War One or 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 vietnam you know there's uh, the conflicts that we know of but it's very but it's very specific uh points it's very of view. western very western centric and yeah these awards are designed to encourage uh different designers to look at different periods of history the website said from among 46 proposals we received 37 prototypes some 30 zenobia volunteer judges divided these prototypes among eight panels to evaluate them for historical richness and fidelity originality of topic and mechanics, and game system elegance and play experience. Finalists have the opportunity to revise prototypes by the 15th of September for evaluation and selection of three winners on the 15th of October. Well, that's exciting. I I cannot wait to cover this. Congratulations to all the finalists and honourable mentions, and I really cannot wait to see what's coming up, uh, what comes out on top, and hopefully even the ones that don't win, hopefully we'll see more of them because... Let's get more themes and more settings, more interesting, different things. And yeah, break out the break, break the mold. Yeah, absolutely. Diversity. I don't want to be it's glib, but it is quite literally. It's a spice of life. It's interesting. It's different. I am so bland. I look like frightened milk. I know you can't see this, <laughs> but I am. It's true, listeners. He does look like frightened milk. I like to put a little picture over Jamie's video camera while we're recording to just to look at something different, really. Anyway, we have touched upon several times that global shipping problems are continuing to plague our hobby, alongside supply issues of cardboard, which are of course related. Restoration Games is the latest high-profile company to be hit by the global changes in shipping, announcing that the retail price of the Return to the Dark Tower will be increased to $190. That's a lot of money. It's not just publishers that are suffering though. German manufacturer Ludofact updated one of their Kickstarter publishers recently with this note. This is from the Kickstarter update of that publisher. This week we were supposed to receive north of 60 tons of grey cardboard from one of our suppliers. That's the raw material they use to make boxes and all our cardboard components for games. On Monday we received the message that we would get none, like in zero tons this week. Now two of the three lamination machines are standing still and in spite of being completely full we had to send some machine operators home because we had no work for them. So that's a big shortage. I mean, I get shortages at work all the time because I work in retail, that happens, but yeah, 60 tons to zero is quite a shortage. 
Steve Jackson Games, also another big publisher, posted an update recently saying that although they have also had issues, they are in a position to weather the current problems. This is mostly down to their evergreen titles like Munchkin and uh, Illuminati. They encourage people to support smaller publishers and especially stores in these extremely difficult times. We've touched on global shipping problems a few times in various different articles, but we thought it was worth focusing on it for a little bit because there's been a lot of chatter recently, especially amongst Kickstarters and the publishers that are reliant a little bit on Kickstarter about the global shipping problems. We're seeing prices of containers jump fourfold and some of these companies are just not going to be able to handle it. Uh, close to home, I think uh, Scott from Minerva Games had a problem, Jamie? Full disclosure, Ian and myself played Swatch with Scott online, and we Ian received a physical copy of Swatch for review, uh, I believe just before his first Kickstarter funding attempt. And Scott is a member of our Discord. But this is what was shared to us. Excited to discover that the cost to produce Swatch has increased by two and a half times since it funded on Kickstarter. And that's after moving away from China to avoid the 900% increase to shipping costs. Yeah. It's it's worldwide, these problems. It's not just shipping from China. It's everywhere. Like, and Ludafact, yeah, they're based in Germany. They're, they're seeing problems with raw materials. Just a reminder to be kind to all these publishers and small shops if you're trying to order stuff. And we're going to see price increases, folks. That is 100% inevitable. That is going to happen across the board, and it is likely to be permanent. I have seen similar across the bicycle industry, which I, I, I manage a small bike shop in Edinburgh. We've seen two or three price increases since Brexit and since and since the global shipping problems. Yeah, it's just happening all the time. So yeah, get ready. It's going to happen. Don't shout at the publishers. They need to make a profit as well. Don't shout at the shops. It's just the reality of the situation. I've said a number of times on this podcast, um, in a rather cynical tone, I understand, but is X going to be the thing that breaks the board game bubble? And many times I've been proved wrong. But with increase in price, with global card... With increases in price, with global cardboard shortages, with it's examples of what we've seen... It's, it's it's become more and more likely. I'm sorry, this it's too cynic. It may be too cynical. It may be too nihilistic, but I, th- I think you're right. It's the small publishers that are mid Kickstarter that are going to be hit hardest by this. Like the ones that are hit, rank, running up to Kickstarter now, they can kind of plan for it a bit more. But if you're mid Kickstarter, getting hit by this, ugh, horrible situation. Anyway, let's move on to the news. It is my sad duty to report the death of Steve Perrin, tabletop game designer, video game designer, the man behind the phenomenally successful RuneQuest. In 1976, he published The Perrin Conventions, an alternate rule set for the Dungeons & Dragons combat systems, which led him to work with Chaosium, and indeed their first published uh, material, All the World's Monsters, a monster manual for Dungeons & Dragons, which interestingly came out before the official Dungeons & Dragons Monster Manual from TSR. That is the original TSR, not any of the more recent TSRs, if anyone's been paying attention to the recent nonsense involving the words TSR. Yes, the letters don't at me. But in 1978, (laughs) 
he helped create RuneQuest. I mean, you know, it was for a long time the number two role-playing game behind Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, what else is it going to be? Um, he contributed to Call of Cthulhu's development. He worked freelance for companies such as TSR and West End Games, to name but a few, and joined back with Chaosium in 2019 to work as a creative consultant. I think the man was, was is a titan of the industry, who'll be greatly missed, but leaves behind him a wealth of great work and so many memories. We've got a little bit of an update for you now regarding a story that we covered in episodes 76 and 77, that of Reiner Knizia, games designer of many vaunted board and card games, kind of having a problem with some of the people publishing his games. He had ended his arrangement with Grail Games over breaches of contract regarding selling in territories they weren't supposed to. It seems now that this list of publishers is expanding. In a statement, Karen Eastall, operations manager at Knizia Games, said... Due to multiple breaches of contract, all licenses with Grail Games, Matigo, and Colossal Games have been terminated, with the reason being to protect the exclusivity of our other business partners in their markets. This does throw into question whether the most recent Kinetia game, Whale Riders, which successfully funded on Kickstarter last year, will reach market. It will be fulfilled by Grail Games, but they are not allowed to publish any more copies after that fact. It, yeah, it just seems like Knizia is clamping down on who can publish his games and where. And he, as we said in episode 76 and 77, he retained very tight control over his properties through his own company that we've mentioned there, Knizia Games. And obviously, when you get a contract to publish games, you don't get it, to, don't always get it to publish worldwide. It can be in very particular territories. And it sounds like the, these companies have been breaching contracts left, right, and center. And uh, yep, if you do that, then, well, Dr. Knizia doesn't like it, which is totally fair. Be interesting to see who is going to take up the mantle of publishing those licenses or what companies. Be well, quite... it sounds like he's got people lined up already, but yeah, I don't know who who's involved with that. Be interesting to see. Indeed. Anyway, some, Jamie, a little something about Gen Con before we move on. Now, back in episode 77, we were talking about various restrictions regarding coronavirus that the UK Games Expo, Essenspiel in Germany, and Gen Con in Indiana were putting in place. At that time, Gen Con were not requiring masks if you could provide proof of vaccination. Well, now it seems that there has been something of a change of heart, almost certainly in response to a large surge in cases in the United States. This has driven Gen Con to require that all attendees wear masks unless medically exempt from doing so, which is in line with new Centre for Disease Control guidance. Now, at the moment, they're not requiring proof of vaccination on top of this, as the team are unaware of the legal ramifications of doing so. Coincidentally, Gen Con have changed these rules just as the refund deadline passed for the convention. Was this coincidence? I think my tone of voice may have answered that question for you, or I could just be being deliberately provocative. Uh, either way, there might be some people who might be a bit cheesed off about this. Yeah. And frankly, we disagree with those people strongly. But yeah, it's probably going to lead to some angry people because they think they should just be able to do whatever they like without consequence. They're wrong. Anyway, we'd just like to give our usual shout out to our patrons. Thank you so much for continuing to support the cast, especially to our executive producer, Sean Newman from the Gamelot team. We'll put a link to all of Sean's bits and pieces in our show notes. You can join up with them for just $1 a month on our Patreon 
and there are a variety of ways to support us including you can buy yourself some lovely lovely t-shirts from sir meeple we'll put a link to that in the show notes we get a really nice cut of the t-shirts on sir meeple and uh, we get about we get 50 percent of the profits straight up with sir meeple and there's some really nice t-shirts on there and we'll, we'll put a little picture of one of our fine discord members simon uh, wearing one of our t-shirts on our twitter feed shortly and jamie and i will be getting some as well uh yeah we hope you like them and uh, it's a great way to support the cast if you'd like yourself some sexy sexy t-shirts well i'm trying gonna try and wear one and enter board games next top model is is that like a painting competition for like little miniatures very good anyway jamie let's go for a meal yes where do you want to go? You're paying. In episode 73, we talked about how an immersive Monopoly escape room style experience would be opening in London in August. Well, last time I checked, it's August. Unless you listen to a repeat, in which case, how's the future? Hope it's all right. Hope it's not too warm. Anyway, alongside the <laughs> the different boards of the immersive Monopoly escape room experience, there is also a Monopoly restaurant. That's right, the Top Hat a Hasbro-licensed bar has its furnishings echoing the classic Monopoly colours, including hotel red boots, and admittedly, not Monopoly colours, but uh, chair coverings reclaimed from uh, some subway lines, I believe the Piccadilly and Northern lines. Uh, and even the menus echo the board design that we all know and presumably love. Focusing on small plates of quintessentially British fare, Diners can ask for a set of Monopoly deal cards for a quick hand whilst waiting. Uh, Monopoly deal, I've said before, I think is a really actually quite a good wee game. Now, in a statement, Joseph Smith, the director of food and beverages at the Top Hat, very nice, said, So many of us have fond memories of playing the iconic game, be it with grandparents in our childhood or over drinks with friends in our adult lives. For some, the London version of the board game was their first experience of the capital. We're excited to be part of the journey as London slowly comes back to life and to be opening a hospitality venue that celebrates the city and its wonderfully rich heritage. I got a question. The the London version of the board game was their first experience of the capital. Now, I've played that version of Monopoly. I didn't feel like I was experiencing the capital. No, but still, you are aware of the streets. You're aware of places within London itself. That's fair. Still. Check and mate. Also, quintessentially British fare does not sound appetizing. Like it's tiny. It's like fish and chips and roast beef and Yorkshire puddings and stuff. Pasties. Don't knock a pasty. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't wouldn't go to a restaurant. I wouldn't go to a restaurant for nothing but pasties. But absolutely. Anyway, folks, enough of this nonsense. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're mostly active on Twitter these days. Our website is thegiantbrain.co.uk. You can email us about anything in the show, or if you'd like to share any news privately for us to talk about, please email us giantbrainuk at gmail.com. And we have a great little community on our Discord. We'll put an invite link to that in the show notes. And you can come along there. And every Tuesday after the cast goes out from 8pm BST, we have a games night on there. So you're most welcome to come along and play some games with us or just chat with the folks there. We hope to see you soon. For now, bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
I'm also recording. That doesn't probably help right now that I've just swallowed some Skittles. So give me a couple of seconds if that's all right. <laughs> I'm definitely cutting that and putting that as an Easter egg at the end. <laughs> if you're listening to this, thank you for staying on that long. Just a handful of Skittles. Now, not normally I'm a big fan of Skittles, but I got them for my birthday, so why not? Birthday Skittles. Who doesn't want birthday skills? <coughs> right, anyway. friend of mine gave me a big bag of sweets, like a brown paper bag. They had a dib-dab, which I've never had. You never had a dib-dab? Never had a dib-dab. I still haven't had it, actually. It's, uh, it's the last one to go. Saving what? the best for last. Sure, sure. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, um, let's um, do this. Oh, he's still eating. He's still eating skills. I'm still eating. That's why I'm I'm, I'm hurrying as fast as I can. It's gonna be like a one minute Easter egg. This. Yep. Us discussing skills and the benefits of skills. Well, yeah, skills not. are alright. I'd say sour skills, but to be honest, skills aren't my bag usually. Ah, got a bag of skills. Um, they're there. Anyway, I'm done now. <laughs>